Welcome to our day night podcast. In tonight's episode, George and Lee Nichols sit down with former professional tennis player Michael Joyce. Michael is also a very well known coach on the WTA tour. He has been coaching Maria Sharapova, Jessica Pagula, and many more. Currently, he coaches Timia Babosh. Join us for this episode as we take this journey through the tennis world. I think we're on. So, welcome everyone. How you doing? Good. How are you? Today I'm here with uh, my very good friend Linico, and we're so excited to have a special guest that needs no introduction, Michael Joyce. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, everybody in the sports of tennis and in the, in the in the in the general world, in the sports knows you from your professional career and you're coaching as well, most notably of uh, Maria Sharapova for six years. But today we want to hear your story and what a better way to find out your story about, I just want to ask, hey, how was Mike as a young kid and how did you get into tennis? Yes, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. My dad played. Um, my dad played a lot. He loved tennis and uh, he kind of got my mom into it. So she started to play, but uh, my dad really liked tennis. And so when I remember being like four or five years old, just like going to the courts with my dad on the weekend. And my dad was uh, a director of photography, a cameraman. So he would, you know, he would, he basically kind of traveled for a few weeks at a time. Then he'd be home for a week or two and all his buddies would play tennis and he'd kind of like drag me to the court. So that's kind of how I started. And, um, and then I got, uh, I started to get more serious when I was probably seven, eight years old. Um, did you, actually, did you have any siblings? Sorry. Did you have any? Siblings yeah, I had a younger, play? yeah, I had a, I have uh, a younger sister who's three years younger than me. She played, she played in okay. college and uh, she played university of San Diego and actually nice. was, she was a good player, but she, she never liked tennis as much as I did or kind of we okay. did, you know? And I mean, she was good. I mean, she was top 10 in the nation in the 18s and got a full ride to school. But she uh, she ended up becoming a lawyer. She was oh. too smart for tennis, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, we uh, actually, it was a kind of interesting story. My dad was playing tennis with me when I was about seven years old. And, and Chris Everett and John Lloyd were on the court uh, next to next to us. And uh, my dad, and she was, Chris Ever was number one at the time or whatever, or, you know, one, one or two, whatever. And so somehow my dad and they struck up a conversation. My dad said, you know, asked about coaching and stuff because I had never had a coach and, and this and that. And, and Chris Everett was like, if you want your kid to be really good, you, you should take him to Robert Lansdorf, who was uh, Tracy Austin's coach at the time. But, but he was also in Los Angeles. And so my parents... Uh, my mom called up Landsdorf for like six months before he finally took me in and then he gave me my first lesson when I was about eight and then I had a lesson with him like once a week for the next 10 years or something but I think that's when I started to get more serious and stuff you know wow but it but it's a lot different than now because back then it was like we played tennis uh to because it was like what we were doing and we're trying to get better to like win the next junior tournament or do well. I, I never, we, you know, at 10 years old, I wasn't thinking of being a pro or anything like that. So I were mean, nowadays, you, uh, 
Were you playing tournaments at that time, like at, yeah. at, at eight and nine? Like, yeah, okay. I played my first okay. tournament. I actually lost. It's kind of I always tell people I lost my first like year. I, I think I lost every match at like seven years old or something. And uh, they finally put me in like a novice tournament. I remember I won two matches like like pro sets, and I got my first trophy. But I couldn't win a match in the ten and under at like seven years old. And then. Uh, and then when I won that novice tournament, I, by by like ten, I was I, I won the ten and under sectionals, which was I beat John Leach in the final, who's uh, Lindsey Davenport's husband, Rick Leach's brother. So that was my big win because I lost to him about ten times before that. And uh, so I started playing, I think, pretty good at like nine, ten, you know. But yeah. um, you know, Southern well, Cal was was a pretty tough section back then, and. It was just different, you know, and the kids now, they, you know, they, with this blue chip and this, I mean, well, you know, college, it's like, it's like a business in the junior tennis to, for college or pros or this, but when we were younger, we played just to get, get ready for the next tournament kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and uh, you, being in that hotbed, I know the, the junior scene around there, you had so many good players that went on to be pro. Uh, do yeah. you... Do you look back on that time and it, was it just mainly you do your lesson with, uh, with your coach and then for the rest of the week, would you just try to find matches or workouts? I yeah. guess at age that's out there now, it's, it's over, there's so much information. Like, yeah. how was it different? Well, that's actually, that's an unbelievable, that's a great question because I, I, I find myself sometimes, you know, especially with, when I work with some kids or some teenagers or whatever, a lot of them always ask me like, you know, what, what's the next step or how should we train or what should we do? And, and I look back and I feel like I was kind of, kind of lucky in a way because um, like Landstorp, basically I had like one lesson a week with him. And then my dad would go, my dad knew tennis pretty good. So he would like go to the lessons. And then uh, I spent a lot of time with my dad, uh, you hitting on the ball machine or, you know if he'd take me out feed me balls and stuff and then he used to always like he kind of hired these like guys from UCLA like these college players and stuff or like ex-college players and you know he would you know give him a few bucks to hit with me and stuff and I learned tons from from those guys um you know like a couple times a week um I would play with them and then um I had a couple kids around the neighborhood that were pretty good. So I'd play some matches. So when I look back, it was almost like from 10 till 16, I had like this incredible tennis schedule that was kind of almost like, I, I don't even know how we did it kind of, you know, <laughs> I went to a normal high school. I mean, I went to normal grade school, normal high school, but yeah, I never went to home school. I never, yeah, I wasn't, I, I I just love playing. I played a lot. Um, I'd actually probably play more than I would do schoolwork. <laughs> I mean, my, <laughs> you know, I always did okay in school, but I remember doing like homework, the class before, you know, when I was in high school, you know, going in the morning, doing homework on the way to school because I played tennis the day before for three, four hours or something. But, but it was really, it, it was, a, I think, a really good schedule for my development. Um, and I was getting a lot of information from a lot of people, but, you know, smart people like, you know, Landstorp was my coach for my technique. My dad was really knew tennis pretty well. And he, the stuff we were working on, he made sure I was doing it. I had a couple guys that were either in college or just out of college who were really good players who, 
helped me learn a lot and um and and i just you know got that's pretty much was my development in, in the juniors yeah the the similarities i'm from atlanta so and then sure. i think i'm probably right at the towards the end i guess i wouldn't say the end of of kind of guys still going to to high school doing the whole routine and then going on to college and playing but you know brian behaley myself sure. uh looking back on all those guys chad carlson uh yeah. travis parrot um you know yeah. we, we would just battle against each other every day uh yeah. we all played high school tennis if you could believe that like we you yeah. know and it, it was so different and now it seems like it's just it's absolutely frowned upon to even imagine having your kid yeah. doing anything like that it, it, it i mean the only reason mind. i yeah absolutely that's what's changed so much and the thing is too it's like i always tell people too it's like you know i i my i always had good if i played tournaments or whatever i always had good competition i didn't really need to play international juniors i didn't play my first international juniors till I was like 17 or something. I mean, the only reason I went was because I was on the national team and they took me over there to like Wimbledon juniors, French juniors, whatever. But I, you know, the, we had the three or four national tournaments, uh, maybe Easter bowl, but the rest was like Southern Cal was, was like tough as nails. I mean, mm -hmm. you had tough matches, yeah. and, you know, and it was like, and, and we were playing tournaments every weekend. And then when I was like 16, 17, I started to play a lot of like open men's open tournaments, um, which were good for me. I was playing these guys that were like uh, uh, Pat Crow and, you know, all these guys, like this, you know, and yeah. And, and guys, uh, Woody Hunt and you know, Barry Buss. And, you know, I mean, these guys were good players. I started to play them, beat them, play them close at 16, 17. So either I had an open tournament every weekend or I had a junior tournament. But I was learning so much and, 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 and there was like literally about five or six guys that were really good that lived like, like you, like within 20 minutes. And, and Beverly Hills High had everybody play tennis there. The high school mm -hmm. tennis was great. The only reason I didn't play high school tennis was because the school I went to didn't have a team um, or, or else I would have. But yeah, everything was like done in a small area and we never had to. And the guys ahead of me, like two, three years ahead of me were guys like Sampras and Tarango and uh I mean I could go down the list so it was always Chuck Chuck Adams Derek Rostanio these guys were always better than me and always older than me so it was like if I ever needed to step up and get better matches or competition I was I could practice with one of them or play one of them so it was like never I never had to go anywhere for for more stuff you know it's it's funny because uh, I I'm a little bit younger and I remember just playing in Romania with all the young kids and it's always been like focusing on, hey, beating this guy, getting the ranking up under 12, under 14, yeah, under 16. Exactly. And it's just like, it seems like it's focused on such a short-term goal and yep. it's, it, it removes some of the development that you mentioned, right? Because you're, it seems like when you played, you're focusing on developing your skills, your strategy, your, your, right. your understanding of tennis, whether on our side, it was just more like focusing on, hey, politics, beating this player, and just yeah, you getting see, up in the yeah. ranking, making the team, and it's yeah, it's right. it's an interesting point. That well, well, to to make yeah, to make that point even more clear, like I remember a few years back, I was like, uh, I don't know, it's eight, probably eight, eight years ago or something. I was like, um, I was in LA, and and uh, I don't want to say the na his name, but it was this kid and really nice family, good kid. And he used to hit with Maria a lot. And he was about, he was maybe a year away from going to college. And uh, I, you know, good player, whatever. And 
I remember I used to work with him a little bit and I, I was like, it was like a Friday or third, I think it was like Friday. And I said to him, well, like, what, you know, do you have a tournament this weekend? And he had, I thought he told me early in the week that he had this tournament. And so I said, oh, you have, you're in like the quarters of this tournament, like tomorrow, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, but I, I'm not sure if I'm going to play or something. And then I said, I was like, you're in the quarterfinals. And then his mom like came over and like heard our conversation. And the mom's like, oh, no, you're, you're, he's, he's not going to play. And I, I was like, I, and then I, I was like, what? And then she's like, well, he has nothing to gain by playing the tournament. I was looking at the computer. I was looking at the rankings. Like, all he can do is drop in the blue chip or something. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, like, you got to be kidding, you know? Like, I mean, I, I remember when I was, like, in the 12 and under, like, they, I, it was probably John Leach because I beat him in the 10 and under in the sectionals. But I had lost to him, like, 20 times. He was, like, twice my size. He, I, I struggled against him, and I remember my dad going down to the local Southern California Tennis Association, like, uh, you know, because you didn't have the computers and all that, and he, and he tried to, he actually asked the guy to, like, the main guy to see if he could call our house when John Leach entered a tournament, because he wanted me to, like, basically follow the kid to any tournament we could go to until, you know, I could beat him, basically. And it was just wow. such a total, yeah. And I remember he every tournament that John Leach entered in, like he would enter me in. And you know, I lost to him, lost to him, lost. And then eventually, when I was fourteen or so, I started beat him and whatever. But the the mentality, can you imagine how different that is? I mean, it was like, or if I didn't like, if I lost to like left-handed players, he would like, you know, find every left-handed player for me to play again, whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's so different now. And know, I think it's yeah, it's and it it plays into even development as an adult Absolutely. right because it, it, yeah. it just prepares yeah. you different way right if you're just if like you mentioned you that, that story with the family that kid is you know as a as a young adult or down the road you're not gonna be, you're, you're gonna be you have to first face adversities right and well exactly <laughs> exactly yeah i mean I, and it's great i mean that just shows you how much it's like society and stuff has changed mm -hmm. You know, it's changed so much because we had the sectional, the rankings would come out like twice a year. I would come out like in this blue book with all the tournaments. I remember the rank, and then sometimes they'd post the rankings in like a local ten, inside tennis or something. And the nationals rankings came out once a year or whatever. But once now, a year, once a yeah. year. When was your yeah. birthday? You remember? February what the, 1st. February and the 1st. birthday was always, was I think October. it was. Yeah. Right. My birthday was October 15th, so I was always that one year. I was, yeah. seven, you know, 17 in my second year of the 18s and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Somebody, like, two weeks before you could play a whole other year or whatever. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah it was always a exactly good right. birthday, bad birthday, right. It was October, <laughs> October, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the rankings would come out, yeah, I, I didn't, you know – I never even knew where they posted it. Yeah, you know, once a once a year, whatever. <laughs> Come we, we would we would get endorsed, and and that's the thing. There was no computer ranking, so yeah, somebody same. would look at our results, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, you're number fourteen in the south, and this guy's number yeah. 15 so, and right, and whatever." It, it would. It, exactly. There's no way that would pass right now. There's no way that it's tennis amazing, players would be know? able to handle it. Really? Yeah, yeah, cause they, yeah. I remember Southern Cal, Florida, the South. Um, that were the probably the toughest sections yeah so yeah south would have like you said like a you know 15 I'm, kid whatever yeah right well and one of the reasons we did though is because we had so many good players that were just were there playing we used to have money tournaments at georgia tech and it would be kenny thorne doug flack ellis ferreira <laughs> don johnson sure. 
you know, yeah. and then Brian Bahaley, Robbie Ginepri, all and all of us college guys, and and just it it was they didn't care. They were playing for like a thousand dollars, and they would That's come out there and did. do that. That's what exactly we did. right. Yeah, I actually it's funny. Another quick funny story. I I won Kalamazoo in the 18s, so I got a wild card U.S. Open, right? And so I got a wild card. And I had, like I said, I'd been playing those money tournaments like all the time, 16, 17 years old. And, and I was getting good experience. I'd play. I remember I beat Jonathan Canner when he was like 40 in the world. He like jumped in a money tournament to get some matches in like in, in Santa Barbara. And I played him in the semifinals and I beat him, which was like huge for me, like confidence wise and everything. You know, we're calling our own lines this and that. And um I, you know, I was winning a lot of these money and doing pretty well playing good matches. And so one guy, this Pat Crow, I must have played him like 10 times in money tournaments. And he was like the money tournament king. He, he was, I don't know if you know the name or he was kind of a legend. He, he was, uh, but he's old. He's quite a bit older than I am. But he played under Peter Smith, like at, in um, when they, at, uh, Long Beach, Long Beach State or something when Peter was there. And, and he, um, but he was like, uh, he was this lefty, he was ranked around 200, but he used to just clean up like the money tournament. So I won Kalamazoo, I get a wild card US Open, I get there, the draw comes out, I play a qualifier. And I'm, and Pat Crow beat San Stolle first round of qualifying, and San Stolle was seated number one. And I remember telling like my parents, I'm like, I bet you I'm going to play Pat Crow. Like, like somehow I just had it in my mind. Like, it was like, and, and he ended up qualifying. I play him first round US Open. Oh and it was God. like the one guy, I felt like the one guy that I actually felt like I could beat, you know, like going in and I ended up losing the first set. I was down set point, second set. And I somehow like, like snuck out the second set. And then I ended up winning in four sets. And, um, but it was crazy to think, you know, now like the juniors go in and they play somebody, whatever. It's like, but to, can you imagine the, the fact that I actually played a guy that I had actually played like eight times in money tournaments in LA? Uh, in the, that was a my bigger money tournament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Who, so, so you won your first round of the, the, the main draw, right? Yeah. You know, some, I think I'm like a, one of only a few guys to uh, do that. That was my, I was going to ask, I was going to do a trivia. Who, Paul Goldstein, I think. Did he I win think his? Gimbal, I think Goldstein, uh, Gold, Gimmelstab I know did. Okay. Gimmelstab did for sure because they talk about it. Okay. Goldstein um, may have been from college now that I think about it. Maybe from uh, college. Right. But from juniors, I think, you know, going back to me, there's only been a couple guys that did. I know Gimmelstab did because one day I, I heard something about it. I think somebody might have done it recently. Jen, Jensen Brooksby those, did it, I okay. think. Did I don't know if he won Kalamazoo to get in though. I think he was already. Right. He made quality. I think I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. that's amazing accomplishment, but, man. Yeah, that's, but that's the last awesome. couple, somewhat recently, I remember, like you said, somebody did or whatever, and they said the last person to do it was Gimbelstab, and he did it like like literally like two years after me. So that's a long time to go without a junior winning uh, match at the open, but to play him, it was like, and then I ended up losing a Wally Masur in five sets and he made semifinals. How crazy is that? Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And so I ended up turning pro. I was going to go to UCLA. I had my book. I had everything all set up. I was supposed to start at UCLA and like basically like a few couple weeks and it was Glenn Bassett's uh, last year. And I had to go back and tell him that I wasn't going. I'm sure he was uh, happy. Yeah, but the, the, the scary thing, UCLA, UCLA was so good that literally, like, I, I was, 
I would have made the team, but like I remember my parents had to like make a deal with with the coach that like for sure I would play. That's how good the team was. Uh, David David Sanguinetti was playing six on the team. That's right. Was that it was, was that like, when Bill Barber was there? Bill Barber. Yeah, Bill, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. It was like it would have been ninety two. So it was like Bill Barber. Right. Um, it had um, Netter, Jason Netter. Uh, Bill Barons was playing like four. Fritz Bissell was like five. Oh, David Nankin was there. Mark Knowles was there. Can you imagine that team? It's unbelievable. So, so he actually wasn't like as devastated as somebody would be typically with that team. <laughs> I, I was like, uh, but I ended up turning pro strictly because I was able to, especially after winning the, the match at the Open and playing, I was able to sign some decent contracts and you know, it, it set me up for the first like three years on tour, like for coaching and stuff. So, were you were you traveling with the USDA coach or was no? It, were you no, support? I was part oh. of no. I used the USDA some because they. I had a coach that I because I started playing some some saddle back then. You had the satellite circuits, you know, the full four weeks satellite. Like sixteen, like seventeen years old, I played like Hawaiian satellite, and I I had some points and. I was playing a lot of because I had a kind of a weird when I was first year 16s I ended up winning like the hard courts and I was like I was I basically went into Kalamazoo seated number one and then I ended up losing early but I finished that year like two or three in the 16s so I played up my second year 16s I played in the 18s and I lost in the quarters at Kalamazoo to Jonathan Stark and um, so my first year 18s I played a lot of pro tournaments like the satellites and stuff and I still played Kalamazoo and stuff, but I played a lot of pro tournaments. So I, um, I had this coach that I was traveling with who was like, um, we met him in Las Vegas. Like when I, when I went there with my parents, when I was like 10, he was a really nice guy and good, good coach. And I actually, you, he was basically my traveling coach almost my whole career. And so when I ended up turning pro, um, he traveled with me, um, but I'd go a lot of times I'd go to Palm Springs and I was able to train with uh, USTA, which was Hagaris at the time was working with Courier and these guys. So I would train with you with them, but then traveling, I had kind of my own guy more or less. Yeah. So, Mike, so. I, you mentioned a few times that you, uh, you had your dad in the background and you had your traveling coach and different coach. Do you think, uh, I mean, do you suggest that having, you know, different multiple coaches for different stages at different levels is something you you recommend for especially as a young as a young young kid just like training absolutely. well and, yes yeah. yeah absolutely but but the per, in a perfect world you need somebody you, you know you need somebody you really trust whether it's like a parent whether it's a you know a, co- a coach from a really young age or somebody that you really trust it's kind of like your rock you know that that right. can and then I think it's important to get information from other people because you, nobody knows everything. I mean, even, even now it's like, you know, it's, uh, I, I feel like I'm a good coach for certain people. I'm a good coach for certain levels, but you know, there's people much better than me, at, you know, for other levels and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that's why I say like, when I look back at the like, kind of my uh, development, I, in a lot of ways I was lucky because I had a lot of good voices in, uh, you know, growing up, I had a lot of good voices, a lot of good information. I learned a lot from a lot of people. Um, but, you know, my dad structured everything good. And then obviously once I turned pro, I had, I had this other guy who, 
you know, his ego was never so big. It was like, he, if I went to Garrison for like two weeks and trained there, he would come with me and learn and, you know, stuff I needed to work on on the road. And, you know, I think that's really important because it's, you know, it's even now, sometimes I'll work with some juniors when I have time or I'll work with some people and, you know, I'll be like, I'll work with them for a few days. And then I'm like, well, who's going to continue to do this? You know, it's not like, yeah. You know, if, if you need to work on certain things or you need to develop certain things, you know, I, I, I could say this is what I think you need, but you need to put in the time and the, the hours to do that. You know, that was yeah. where like Landsdorf was a great coach, there's no doubt. But especially with when you're young, teaching you the, the fundamentals and the strokes and so forth. But if you don't have somebody to do, do it with, you know, day after day, um, it's you know there's tons of kids that went to him that did nothing just because who's going to put the time in so you know I think it's really important and that's actually something USTA I think they're maybe they're getting a little better now but I think that's why those not just USTA but all those like tennis um, you know the, the LTA USTA like the big tennis associations uh, struggle like developing players because you know you take these kids who you know once once those People, you know, once those um, uh, associations know know the player, the player's obviously already pretty good. So you know, he right. could be they, he or she could be from you know Alaska, <laughs> let's just say, and they have a coach or they have parents or they have a routine that's making them good to where like all of a sudden USTA notices them and now they want to you know pull that kid out of out of his environment and start working with other coaches. And the other coaches might be great, but it, it might not be a good fit, you know. And so um, that's why you don't see, I think, I think the USTA is getting a little better at that, you know, letting the kids kind of stay within their environment. So it's always a tough balance because you want, you don't want them to get too comfortable and you want them to learn. But at the same time, you don't want to just pull them out of a environment that's working. So that's why I said, like, when I look back at my balance, I feel like I was very, really lucky in a lot of ways. I don't know if you know, if it was my parents, if it was, they wanted me to be, you know, have a normal upbringing. And back then, like, like Lee said, back then it wasn't as, as much as a business as it is now. You didn't have these ITF points and rankings and international and the, you didn't have all it's that so, It's so territorial. Though. Yeah. It's so territorial exactly. in juniors now when it, back in the day, it really wasn't. I mean, that's the thing. So it's like, you know, it, I think it's a combo of like how, I mean, you know, probably better than I do being a, you know, college coach. I mean, it's the stuff you probably have to deal with, with recruiting stuff is probably unbelievable tough, you know? And, it, and, and it, Yeah, for it, sure it is. And there's a profile that you look for. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you is it sounded like your parents were very on top of, of your tennis and they did an amazing, obviously, by the names you're throwing out with your coach's job in vetting coaches and finding the best person for you. Like, do you see that happening today? You know, if I call the people calling Michael Joyce right now for a lesson or for coaching, do you think they're really doing the, the proper due diligence? Because I feel juniors aren't really knowing who their kids or parents aren't knowing who their juniors are really getting uh, coached by, no, you know? I well, think it's not you know, really I don't, I, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and, and because it's, uh, I do, I, I run into, I've always been like, even though I've coached Maria and I coached Jesse and, you know, like my main, you know, on the road right now, I'm coaching the uh, uh, Tamea Babos and helping Kiki and Tamea in doubles and stuff. But 
you know, I'm on the road so many weeks, but like when I'm home, whether it was in LA or now I live in Florida, I always uh, like working with the juniors or I like working with uh, uh, some people, especially when I'm at home because it keeps me in shape. It keeps me learning. I like working with the younger players. And you, you wouldn't believe the things I hear. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you would. You know, I see, I've had a couple kids who see like six different coaches in the same week or, you know, or they go here, or they go there, or they, you know, or they're at the academies and, you know, they're playing in groups. Uh, they're 15 years old and they're playing four hours in groups with four people on a court the whole day. Or you know, like the stuff I hear, or they're doing tons of fitness, you know, fitness is, fitness is so important. There's no doubt. Tennis has become super fit fitness uh, sport. And I, when, when, if you're a professional or you're a really good college player, whatever, we know how important fitness is. But there's these 12, 13 year old kids that don't even know how to hit the ball good yet. And they're spending two hours doing fitness. It's like, you, you got to be kidding me, you know, like, <laughs> learn how to play tennis before or, or, you know, or, but the thing is, is there's so many or mental coaches, you know, it's, you know, the, the there's the, the whole I, I was working with some kid not, like a couple months ago that was virtually a beginner, like this 11 year old that lives near me. And the parents really nice. And I found out he's he's going to like he and she it was a brother and sister. They both spend three days a week talking to this mental coach. I'm like, <laughs> I said to the mom, I'm like, you know, I don't none of my business, but you're just throwing away money. The kid, these kids don't even know how to play tennis yet. What, what could they possibly have been talking about? You know, so this is like, I feel like this is kind of like how it is in the U.S. now, you know. And I think, uh, I think you're going to find some good players, some good kids, because they're, um, you know, they're, they, they have – the parents are smart or they, they, you know, they have a coach that kind of leads them in the right direction or whatever. Um, so you'll get some good – but it's – much tougher in a way I think to develop now than than it was before I mean and and you know I think you'll find a lot of really like a lot of average players <laughs> you know very average players in the U.S. I think because of because of that and and it's going to be a lot of wasted money <laughs> that you know a lot of wasted money because yeah, you know, it's it again. It's like the coaches, the fitness trainers, the mental coaches. The, all, all these people are, you know, want jobs, and they sell they sell something. And and especially with the internet and 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 the way to reach people, uh, there's certainly a lot of lot of pretenders in in the business. And it's sad. You get a young kid, and 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 you get. And I've thought about trying almost to do some kind of business or something because, but I I don't really know exactly how to do it but it's like most of the young kids and the parents they really don't know what they should do like they don't even know what tournaments to enter or what to play or how much they should play or you know like these questions are important questions and when you're getting information from so many places I mean like you said who do you trust you know George, who do you trust? Yeah. Do, you, do you trust Universal Tennis Rating, TennisRecruiting.net, USTA, ITF? Yeah. What do you trust there, buddy? No, thanks. I trust my serve and <laughs> got to trust their shots, I think. That's, that's, that's the big thing, you know, because yeah. when it comes down to playing a match and playing a, like whatever, you're just going to have to remove all those thoughts on the court, right? You have to find Absolutely. a way to just get off that because yeah. the amount of pressure those, I think those kids go through, you know, parents, coaches, everybody, it's just, it's a lot more pressure than back 
back in the days, I feel like, you know, and, and yeah. they remove some of the pleasure, some of the, the fun in oh, the sport for sure. at the end of the for game, sure. at the end of the day, right? For sure. Uh, Michael, I have a question because you mentioned your, uh, your dad worked in uh, film and television as, yeah. you know, in photography. And I'm curious to find out how, how, if he applied some of those, you know, film skills he had into oh, your yeah. tennis, because back then, I don't think it was as popular as nowadays, right? Or nowadays, everybody has an iPhone, slow motion. It's very right. easy to deconstruct. But back then, how 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 did how crucial was that to your development in well, and becoming it, a strategist? That's a, that's another unbelievable question. It's a great question because I. Um, it's funny, my dad. My dad. I mean, at the time, I'll say when I look back, it was sometimes really annoying because my dad. My dad being a, um, he was a director of photography. So he would, you know, before movies or TV shows or stuff he would do, like he'd always count, say like scouting locations. So he'd always say like, if he needs a sunset um, shot or there was gonna be a part of a movie with a, he wanted a sunset, he'd have to go to the place for, you know, two weeks and find the perfect time to do it and everything. And that was one of the reasons as I got a little bit older, he, he didn't really want me going in, like following his footsteps in that business because he said, uh, because his father was also, my grandfather was a director of photography also. And he, he did like Casablanca and a lot of these older movies. And then my dad did it. And then obviously me. So he used to say like, kind of like the art of what he's doing is going to lose some of it because of computers. He, he could kind of foresee that, that computers were going to start to make um, great shots and, and different stuff. And he said, you know, you're going to lose a little bit of that art. So he was very, from day one, he was huge into like preparation, strategy, preparation. Uh, he wanted me, like when I played a tournament, or I played somebody, he wanted me to write down after what the guy does, his weaknesses, his strengths, what worked, what didn't work. Because he always felt going into the match, I needed to be ready. Uh, warm up. I mean, I, there was times I'd play at 8 a.m. You know, he'd have me up at six warming up because I had to be warmed up. So that was actually more than anything. That was the biggest thing he preached at me from a young age is like, is having a game plan, having strategy, um, you know, being able, you know, have an idea of what I'm trying to do, you know. And so I feel like that he he helped me all the way even through the pros. I mean, even when I it was in the pros. He'd always video the with tennis on TV. He'd uh, video it because he felt if I played one of the guys, he could go back and watch tapes and tell me different stuff. So, you know, that, that was really big for him, you know? And like I said, when I was younger, um, it was sometimes uh, annoying and <laughs> some tedious. And, you know, we obviously had our, a lot of our disagreements and fights and stuff. But when I look back now, um, especially when it comes to being smart and strategy and so forth. It's, it's amazing to me, like how uh, a lot of coaches and people just don't realize that stuff. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked even really, you know, good play pros, you know, that I've worked with, I'll, I'll straight out ask them from right off the bat. I'll be like, what, you know, what's, uh, what's your identity as a player? Like, what do you, wh you know, what do you play like? you know, or what are you trying to do? And, and they can't, and they have no idea, you know, and, and um, obviously you need to adjust and you need to, you know, do different things against different play. But, but it's amazing how many people just don't actually um, have an idea of what they're even trying to do out there, you know? And I feel like that's something as a coach, I've been able to, you know, help me as a player 
uh, all through juniors and the pros and and certainly as a coach it's made my job easy in a way because to me it's easy for me to it's not always easy to get them to do it but it's easy for me to see uh at least envision how somebody can maximize what they have you know and uh and it's funny too nowadays just again with the computers and all this and that i remember i was playing this is an interesting story i was playing my first like I don't want to say first, but it was, I was pretty young and I was playing uh, in Key Biscayne, the term Miami. And I was playing a uh, second round. I was playing Michael Steak, and he was seated number two. I think he won Wimbledon the year before or whatever. And it was my first big match on like a stadium court, whatever. And um, my dad said to me, he watched like all these tapes of Steak playing like for la like two years, two, three years before. And he said, he's, you know, he's got a huge serve, this, that, whatever. He said a couple of little things. He said, do me one favor. If you get a break point, Early in the match, in the ad court, he said, just run to the tee serve, like, right as he tosses the ball. Because he goes there every single time when he's down, like, a break point. And he, and he, and he says he hits an ace every time or whatever. And so I remember I playing the match. It was, like, two all in the first set at break point. You know, and I, of course, I had my coach and stuff. But my dad would do, you know, do some of the scouting, do some of the stuff from home, you know. And so it was, I had break point two all first set. And I remember right before the point, I just says, like, I'm going for broke here. See if my dad's right, you know. <laughs> Steak hits like a 135 up to T, and I just guessed it and, like, you know, ripped a winner on him and broke him. And that, like, completely, like, got me on a roll. And I ended up winning that match, like, two and two. And afterwards, like, you know, of course, that one point didn't – but it was a huge point. And, and like, that's what they – these people do now like you know again it's like a business you, you can see where everybody serves where everybody hits where everybody hits. but at the same time like some of that stuff helps but you know at the same time I mean John Isner still you know still top 20 in the world hitting aces right and left and people can't figure out his patterns so you know you again it's like a little in between you know you got to find a good combo there but for me that was all my dad I think it had a lot to do with his upbringing and his um, mentality from what his job was. That's, yeah, that's, that's awesome because I think a lot of parents and a lot of, you know, even coaches, it's can, 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 can use those things and developing you as a young kid with this kind of strategies. I mean, I remember at the Federation in Romania, nobody was really going into strategies and that you're just going cross, going cross court, going down the line and just kind of like grinding it out for three, four hours and not really you thinking see, too much yeah. about strategies or anything like that. So Yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's amazing. It, it's just like uh, I lost this guy. I think I was this guy, Vince Mackey. He was a lefty. He was a great, really good junior, but he was a couple years older than me. But again, I was like 11 or something. He was a lefty and he killed me in this tournament, like killed me. And he had all the heavy spin and stuff. I remember after the match, my dad was so pissed, but he didn't really say anything. And we got in the car. We're driving literally for like an hour. I don't know where we're going. And he pulls up at this like, at this like warehouse. And he bought one of those like matchmate ball machines. You remember the old matchmate? They had like spin on them and everything. And I had never even seen this thing. But at some, somehow he got it, found out how to get this ball machine that like made like lefty spin and stuff. <laughs> because I lost his kid and then like and I spent the next like two months like working on taking the ball on the rise and not moving back or different stuff and you know like six months later I played the kid again I beat him 
you know, and I don't remember exactly what we did, everything. But the point was, like, it was it was part of like developing. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you gotta, we gotta do this so that you can, you know, make millions of dollars when you're 25 years old. You know, it was like you you need to learn how to do this. So if you play this kid again, you can not get lose one and one. You know, whatever it was. So that you know, again, that's like the strategy, the mentality, and I think also strategy was even probably bigger um years ago too also because of the equipment and the rackets and you know it's i think some of the tennis now it's uh with the rackets and the string it's it, it, the the physical part of tennis it's lost a little bit of that um um it, it, the the beauty of the of the tennis of of the strategy and so of course there's still a lot there but that's also why i like coaching women's tennis a little bit too because i think sometimes there's more strategy on the women's tennis than the men's tennis even now, you know, cause there's not you, as much power and so forth. Yeah. You, that's, uh, we appreciate you sharing this. We, uh, you've had an amazing career. So you reach out 60, 64 in the world, right? In, uh, uh, your, your highest ATP ranking. Oh, and, good. <laughs> and then, you you had a wrist injury, right? Which kind of yeah. ended your ended your career. How? I'm just interested to to uh, to know, you know, because it's that must have been hard, right? Being on the spotlight and just being on the tour and yeah. getting an injury and kind of ending your career. How how tough was that? And how yeah. how did you get through 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 this transition? Yeah, I mean, I had I I tried to come back for a couple years, so I I it. The, th the thing was, is I actually, my first ma major injury was actually right after, like when I was 18. So I, I, so I turned pro at that U.S. Open. I played for four or five months and then I actually fell in a tournament, dislocated my left shoulder. Um, I was playing last round of qualifying this tournament in Philadelphia. It was a big indoor tournament and, and I fell and dislocated my left shoulder. So I was out for about six months. And then hitting like one hand backhands, four hands, whatever. But I, I, I couldn't play. And then. And how old that, are you back then? I was, was that was I was like eighteen then. So oh, that was like okay. right after I turned pro. And then you know, I, I my parents were like, you should have gone to college. And you know, mm. you can imagine. So, but I, I, so at that point I was out like six months. And then I came back. And then about six months after coming back, I dislocated it again at a USTA training camp. Actually, Tom Golickson. Um, obviously a mistake we were playing basketball and he ran into my arm and dislocated it again so now I had surgery on my left shoulder so my first two years on the tour I was dealing with this left um, shoulder problem which in some ways made my forehand better helped my slice my backhand but I, I certainly wasn't playing so then the, you know a year or two after that is when I think I broke in the top hundred and then I had a good four four years or five years in the top hundred, but I was always dealing with this left wrist, um, like tendonitis. I had this really bad tendonitis in my left wrist for like four, four years after the shoulder injury. And I think it was partly because of, you know, I didn't hit backhands a lot for two years, you know, two hand backhand. So back then we always used to do these, um, cortisone shots. You know, it was like big back then, you know, you get a shot and then it was every six months, for, every couple yeah, of months. For, right. Yeah, it started out, it started like they probably did one the first year, then it was two, then by the third year it was four, you know, right. and, you know, but it was keeping me playing and, and, you know, it was my left wrist. So I honestly was like, didn't take it as serious as my right. 
and um and and i probably i had 10 shots or so and then i was playing a match uh in washington dc against michael chang actually in the third round and i was playing some of my best tennis and i hit this backhand and i felt like somebody shot me from the stands like i i just my whole left hand just like um like blew up basically and so i ended up finishing the match i actually won the first set it was in the second set i finished the match slicing everything whatever and i knew it was bad and then i had the surgery so the surgery they had to completely like re totally like restructure my whole left wrist so i didn't play for almost 14 months a tournament and uh, I didn't even know if I was ever going to play with a two-hand backhand. And if I had a one-hand backhand, it, it wasn't going to be that pretty. So uh, <laughs> it was like – so I did try to come back, and, and I got I, – I, coming back, I got to, like, uh, back up to, like, 120 or something. But um, it was so hard to come back. And, and to be honest, the biggest problems were um, – I mean, when I look back, I mean, I, some of the tournaments, I was playing a lot of challengers and stuff. And – I'd play, um, you know, James Blake first round, Robbie Ginepri second round, Dmitry Tursunov in the quarters. And, you know, I mean, I mean, it was like a joke. All these guys, you know, these young guys were come, coming, Haley, you know, first round somewhere, Goldstein. All these guys were coming up, right, you know, when I was 27, 28, whatever, 26, 27, um, you know, this this huge group. And those were just the American guys. So I, I think it was actually – felt like I was actually maybe playing some of my best tennis at, at 27, 28, but uh, it was just so hard to break through back to the top, you know, top 70 or mm -hmm. I didn't even get, I think top hundred. And then, um, then I, my mom got sick. <laughs> my mom got, got, had cancer and there was a lot of some issues. And then Maria came along. And so, you know, I, when I look back at it, it wasn't like, it was like, oh, you know, I got this injury and then I just stopped, you know, it was like, injury really affected me of course because i think if i didn't have that injury i probably could have stayed in the top 100 probably another five years or so mm -hmm. but i think uh having to start from scratch at, at that age um at 25 26 and then my backhand was probably never quite the same but i still feel like i was playing pretty good it just got tennis just got much tougher those four or five did, years you know did and, you have uh, a plan like to did you know you wanted to be a coach once the playing was going to be over no like, not really that no not really and it was actually not really i i actually um that's what's crazy when i look i didn't think about it that much but what was really crazy for me is there was two guys that i helped like tremendously without even like like it's crazy there was this one kid you might remember his name his name was robert yim he ended up winning kalamazoo he was this little lefty guy and he reminded me of marcelo rios and during that period it was i was like 28 or something he was he i played him in a in a qualities of the la open or something and he was working with usta he was working with telcher alley of telcher and i played him and I like killed him. I like hit. I hit every ball hard through the middle against him, and he like missed every ball basically. And after the match, this Elliot uh, Telcher like asked me what I thought of him, and I I started like laughing. I'm like, guy was he was he played terrible, you know? And he's like, you know what? What do you mean he played? He's like, you know, he's top ten of the nation. I said, I don't think he could hit a ball in the court, you know. <laughs> and um, kid was trying to play like he was trying to 
play like, uh, you know, ripping winners where I left. He was like five foot seven, quick kid, whatever. But anyway, so I, I afterwards the kid came up to me and he started talking to me. So I, I, I ended up practicing with him a lot for like a month or two because I kind of liked him and stuff. And uh, I pretty much told him, like, you're playing completely wrong. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, you're, you're going for an ace on every serve. You have a, you're a lefty. You could use your serve to, you know, set up, the, you know, start the point. You know, good, solid serve. But you're going for aces, right? Like, you know, whatever. And I just gave him a lot of strategy and kind of had him, you know, uh, you know, I was able to kind of make him play smarter. I, I started showing him some videos of Marcelo Rios because they had similar game styles. And the kid ended up – he ended up winning Kalamazoo, like, about two months later, which was big for him. And he got a wild card U.S. Open. He played Todd Marr, and he, he, like, won a set, whatever. But his dad – like, I couldn't even understand what his dad – I could barely understand him talking. And he called me up after the kid won Kalamazoo and basically, like, thanked me and was, like, like crying on the phone. And I was, like – like, it made me feel really good, you know. And then there was this other kid named uh, Kevin Kim, who was actually a really good player. And he was another guy that I had played a bunch of times. Like, we were both ranked about 150, like, when I was, like, 27, 20. And he went to UCLA. He was really talented. But I played him, like, six or seven times, like, this one year. And he, he was playing so stupid. Like, he was such a good player, but he playing so stupid. And then, again, like, when my mom was sick, I was teaching a little bit, make, you know, make a little money. And I was hitting a lot with these guys. And the same with Kevin. I, I, I told him a couple things that I felt like he was doing really dumb. Like, because it, 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 I played him, you know. He beat me a couple times, but I beat him four or five times. And he'd always run around his forehand and hit inside in. He hit pretty flat. But, like, I, not only did I start to know he was going there, but, like, he would make it, make it, make it. And then all of a sudden at, like, five all on the breaker, he would miss it because he'd always go for the shot, you know. And I told him, like, you don't need to always go – this inside in on your forehand like all the time I mean it's like hurting you and then he did a couple other things and anyway he all of a sudden again practicing with him I gave him some advice and different stuff and then he he won like four challenges in a row and got to like 80 in the world you know and it was again and he like he was just like I can't believe like like something just like clicked you know so I felt like I I, I like that you know that I could help people and I wasn't charging them I wasn't and then I, I kind of felt like you know this is something that I actually really enjoy doing not you know more than just the money thing or whatever and then then that's when I kind of Maria was 15 16 and I kind of did the same with her I was hitting with her a lot I was uh, playing her sets I was you know back then like I was still in pretty good shape I didn't know if I was going to keep playing so I'd, be, I'd kill her in, in a practice match and then I'd tell her some stuff like you know which what I thought she could do better, you know, not, not changing their, their, that's the thing, especially at that level, that age, it's not like you're changing their strokes. It's not like you're changing, um, you know, technique. You're, you're more just like how they're playing, you know, how, how their, their patterns or, you know, different stuff like that. And, and, and I felt like, um, I felt like that was easy for me to see. And then I had good ideas of how to, to incorporate that stuff you know, in their games, because I, you know, I, I spent my whole life doing that. <laughs> so um, that's pretty much when I decided to kind of make it, you know, my job. And then obviously, being the, the fact I was with Maria so long kind of put me in this like, women's coach category. And, and I've kind of stayed with that strictly because of 
probably being with Maria, but I mean, I love coaching, you know, guys too. I mean, to me, it's a game. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just kind of what I, what, what I see. So. You have a, a lot of passion. We can hear it in your, in your voice when you talk about just like getting people from improving, right. And seeing your, your change in yeah. those changes being implemented so fast and just, and making that, 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 uh, that impact on, on players. Well, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's the way, I mean, you know, all three of us are good players. I mean, and we've worked with good players and a lot of times it's, it's little things, but you know, that little things make a big difference. Um, I mean, look, I mean, a match, you could, you could lose a set six, three and, and have even number of points won and lost and, you know, and so, I mean, four, four or five points could change the whole match around. And then the player all of a sudden starts to do, um, certain patterns or certain things better and then all of a sudden their confidence goes up so I've seen players who and that's why I feel like that's why I like working with good players more because I feel like I'm better at that than taking a eight-year-old kid and teaching them how to you know hit hit the ball <laughs> you know I, I mean it's that that to me I'm, there's people probably a lot better than me at doing that but like that's players that's that funny it's I, I mean, sorry, Mike, to interrupt, but that's, it's funny that you mentioned and, and, and say it that way because I've always been kind of technical. I know George, uh, with the unfortunate luck of having to be my student for a while, probably can uh, bag me up on that. But I didn't really think of the tactical side until Matt Lucas came up here and started talking to him and watching you with Jesse, too, in terms of, of that. And that's, that's really, I mean, do you feel like your game when you played was, was super technical or was it just all like, okay, I'm going to put the ball there. It doesn't matter how I get the ball to get there. Well, well, it was, my game was super technical when I was younger, you know, and, and it's interesting you say that because, my, you know, being Landstorp was very technical and my dad was super technical and he was very much like with the, again, like the movie business camera, he was much, very much in a tech. So there was a period of my life where technical was really big, but, but I feel like, you know, for instance, um, like even when I started working with Jesse, because we all know Jesse and she was younger, whatever. When I started working with Jesse, she was a good example. She grew up with a really good technical coach, uh, Stearns. She went to like uh, Smith Stearns, whatever. And he, Stearns taught her really good like uh, strokes, you know, had, had great ball, you know, hit the ball great, forehand, backhand. But one thing like in similar Landsdorf, like, I'll give you like when she started when I started working with her she'd play she'd play a certain girl first round of a tournament and she looked like a million bucks because the girl hit the ball hit a ball that she liked and she'd chain you know go down the line backhand every second ball and hit a winner and win you know one and zero and look unbelievable then all of a sudden go out the next day and now she's playing a girl who hits a ball that's a little bit different you know it gives her a little higher ball whatever um Maybe she's a little bit uh, tired that day, whatever, and she's going for this downline backhand, and she does that like that she hit a million winners the day before, and she can't understand why she's not hitting it the next day, and you know, and 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 the thing is, is and then you know after the match or whatever, I'm like, well, you know, you're, and she said, well, I did it the day before, I should be able to do that's my best shot, okay, well now all of a sudden that shot's not working for whatever reason you're going to lose, you know, unless you have uh, an idea of, you know, when to hit it or, 
you can't just always say, oh, it's, it's off or the technical is off because a lot of it has to do, you're, you're playing a game against somebody else. You know, the serve, the serve is a one shot that I think you could be a lot more technical on because it's obviously the one shot you have complete control over. You know, I think you have to be a little bit smart about which, you know, how you serve different stuff. But I feel like, like, you know, forehand, backhand, uh, who you play has a lot to do with it, how you feel. How you know, like to me, to win a tournament or to get through um, a week of matches or two weeks in a Grand Slam, you're going to have to win some matches where you you play somebody you don't like the way they play. That's why I think you see so many tennis. There's so much uh, of matchups, you know, like a certain matchup and stuff because everybody feels better against certain types of players and stuff. And so I think some of the technical is good to work on. Uh, especially when you have a little bit of time off or you have some time in between. But at the same time, I'm also like the girl I'm coaching now, Tamea Babos. I mean, she's number one in the world in doubles. I mean, her forehand sucks. I mean, she knows it. I know it. She, you know, she, she's had coaches that have tried to change it technical wise. I mean, she's 20. She has a huge Western foreign. She's had it since she was young. It's it you know I, we try to manage it you know and and I think I've been able to help her more than other coaches because a lot, she told me straight out a lot of the other coaches have tried to technically change it and work on it it never works you know at that age you know and the thing is is it's like common sense it sh it should be different but she she's hit this forehand since she was six seven years old you know and so that's where it's a fine line because, you know, we, you, you try to work around it or try to, you know, um, you can, there's always room for improvement, but there's always that fine line of how much technical, how much, I think if you have a young kid, it's technical is crucial. You know, you attend like with Tamea with their forehand, like she says, I say she wishes somebody would have changed it, her grip or whatever, when she was 10 years old, 12 years old. You know, but once you get to a certain point, you're 16, 17, you, you know, whatever, it's you, the technical, it's, it's, it's a fine line, you know, it depends on your level. It depends on, you know, and, and the thing is, there's always different ways to hit the ball. You'll see, I always say the players that are really good have things, they'll have a lot of similarities in common, but there's a lot of different ways to do it always. You know, and, and, you know, you'll see, remember that guy, Alberto Barisategui, how he hit his forehand. Uh, he was like, I think he made the finals. of. I mean, the way he hit his forehand, you'd never teach that, you know, or, or look at Medvedev now. He hits the ball. I mean, he's not, doesn't, you know, he's not looking like, uh, you know, you would teach. Like yeah. Who hit the forehand slice and yeah. she's what top yeah. top 30 in the world or you know? yeah well she does that yeah well she said she never could figure out how nope. to hit a forehand and then she finally started slicing it and started winning like that you know so it, it's always a fine line i think the technical is huge when they're young and i think it's uh i think to serve you can make good you know some pretty technical changes on but and there's obviously some things if it's a huge glaring thing or footwork I think footwork's really you can I think you can technically you know change somebody's footwork in a lot of ways but grips you know grips are dangerous and 
and um, you know it, it's a fine line you know it's I'm always kind of think of like hmm I wonder if this is and you can try some people pick things up better than other people you know there's been times I've tried to like I see somebody doing something and I'm like I want to change it and so I'll like kind of like try and then I realize like it's better to just have them keep doing what they're doing and try to maybe improve their footwork or something because <laughs> it's not, you know, it's, 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 you know, coaching, it's always, everybody's different. Every situation is different, but I think learning how to use what you have, your strengths, weaknesses, all those things. I think the best players are able to, to, to do that the best, you know, they're able to do, to play like, like I say, their identity, you have to know what you're trying to do. And you could you can try to improve it. You can try to change it, but you have to have a good idea of what you're trying to do out there, and that that helps big time, I think. That's uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing this, Mike. We uh, we're getting close to one hour here, and we appreciate your time. But uh, I'm interested to to know to find out now. You have a beautiful daughter, beautiful wife, a family. What's uh, what's next for uh, for Michael Joyce? What's how do you oh. see yourself in the next five ten years? You, you well, some, uh... I, pre I appreciate I appreciate the nice words. Yeah, I started a family late. I mean, forty seven. I have a three and a half year old daughter, and I've been married five years. I mean, I still like traveling. I mean, I, I even dur especially during this whole virus, I realized how much I do kind of miss traveling. But then I also don't don't like. But when I travel too much, I really miss being near them and being home. So, I mean, I think ideally my perfect scenario would be to have like uh, a small academy, you know, not even academy, a small two, three, four courts, have a couple guys that I really trust who, you know, kind of uh, can work along with me, work with a handful of players and then, uh, you know, travel to uh, – travel maybe 20 weeks to some of the bigger tournaments um and and do that for the next hopefully 20 or 30 years i mean i i, I really love um i don't care if i'm working with a, a 15 year old you know boy trying to you know make it to college or you know or what or uh, somebody winning uh, like the girls won the australian open and doubles and i mean I, I never thought I'd be helping people win doubles, you know, but we were pumped. I mean, right. you won a grand slam. So, you know, the coaching part, I really like, I still would like to travel some um, just because I, I get a little antsy if I'm in the same place, but um, that's pretty much what I see myself doing. I think it's what I do best. And, and like you said, I have passion for it. I, I, I really enjoy it. Definitely feel the passion there. Thanks. Well, thank you for for being on the on the show here, Michael. We really appreciate your time. Be safe. And, yes, uh, thank you, you guys. Really I think, appreciate did, I, it. did I read that it might snow in Buffalo? Don't tell me, man. No, I was just no, <laughs> no, don't say that. that no. Hoax? Is that a hoax or something? I could have sworn I read. It is. It's, it's in the forecast for Saturday. Oh my There's, God. Yeah, it's not going to stick, but yeah, it's going to snow. I'll tell you guys though. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed coming to Buffalo and I look forward to next time I, I come up there because I miss going there. I really do. I really do. Well, I mean, I'm looking know forward I, to have you. Yeah, I really, I do. I really like that town. I mean, it's the food, food is good and I like cold weather. So 
Okay. Hey, for a few Tom, weeks. <laughs> Tom Brady's gone. Tom Brady's gone. So you've got the, uh, yeah, the got East now. champions right here, buddy. We got it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know. I might start being like uh, Tampa Bay. I'm not too far from Tampa Bay. Maybe I'll jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> Krakowski's back, too. Krakowski, the other Buffalo yep. guy. Right. All back right, from retirement. Guys, I look right. forward to seeing you. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thanks, for Thanks Michael. Take Appreciate care. It, Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.